check. There we are. There we are. Hey, uh, I'm Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here at First Baptist Hanford. We are so excited uh, to continue on in this Christmas season with you. Uh, We're looking at it. We're in a series right now called Christmas Stories. And like uh, 99.9% of churches, we are looking at the Christmas story in December. Um, and so it is no accident across most of Christendom that uh, we're talking through the Christmas stories. Uh, two weeks ago, we kicked off with, uh, with the story of King Herod. We introduced the antagonist of the story, the bad guy, the opposing force. Last week, we talked a little bit about angels. And this week, we get a chance to talk about a, a character who, in my opinion, doesn't get enough recognition in the story. We get to, to talk about a guy by the name of Joseph. Hey, uh, if, you're, if you're a dad in the room, can I get a little hand raise from the dads in the room? Okay, good. If you're not sure, that's, a, that's concerning. That should be a pretty easy hand raise. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> I feel like, I feel like we, dads, we kind of fall into the same category as Joseph here, right? Now, for those of you who are new with us or don't know me, uh, we have five kids. We have five boys. Um, and that means I have been in that delivery room five different times as my, as my children have, have entered into the world. Um, and, and I feel, I feel like I, didn't get enough attention in that realm. Because um, everybody always asks, right? Everybody always asks, you know, uh, how, how are mom and baby? And I'm like, they're fine. <laughs> There's like 50 people <laughs> taking care of them. Uh, no one asked me how I felt after that last contraction um, <laughs> or how I was doing or anything like that. And it makes me a little bit upset about that. Um, they didn't ask about my emotional well-being or anything along those lines. They didn't offer me ice chips. Um, I took some, but they didn't offer any to me. Um, I felt a little left out. Um, and I feel like, and, and honestly, honestly, moms, obviously the heroes of those story moms for, can I get a hand raised from the moms in the room? Yeah. Okay. We get it. Pipe down. Um, your week is next week. Okay. <laughs> We get to talk about the dead, but the moms for real, you guys are the heroes of this story. We all know that. Um, and, and, uh, for those moms who, who have gone through childbirth, um, man, kudos to you for going through childbirth. And then there's this other, there's this other type of mom, um, who my wife falls into this category who decided to go through childbirth more than one time, man, like, like I went cliff jumping once, right? Like with my friends. And I did it once, and I thought, okay, that's good. Don't need to do that again. I feel like you moms, like, you went through that whole labor and delivery process, and you're like, you know, it was so beautiful. I can't wait to do that again. I'm like, what? No, false. Uh, you, anyway. Much respect to, uh, to the moms in the, in the room. Um, but this week, we, we, we want to recognize the role that uh, the dads actually play in the midst of this, this whole process, specifically labor and delivery and that sort of thing. In labor and delivery, men, we have to do some roles that we are simply not accustomed to doing, right? Uh, the, men, we have to be nurturing, and we have to be supporting, and we have to just hold our wife's hand and rub the top of her hand, knowing 
that there is nothing that we can do to alleviate any of the pain that she is going through. Right, men? Like, and you want to see the soft underbelly of a man? Right? Go into the delivery room with his permission, of course, um, and just see how he has to inter- how he has to interact with his wife in that in that arena. It's because because there is nothing that he can do. He is a puddle on the floor. We can do nothing to alleviate that pain and the thing that that his wife, that his bride, who he loves very much, is walking through. There is nothing that he can do. And this honestly is where we find Joseph, where Joseph even more so removed, knowing that, that this baby who is to be born to his fiance isn't even his. And he has to play a supporting role in this whole thing. And, and, and to his credit, to Joseph's credit, when things got tough, he didn't cut and run. He consistently did what a man dedicated to the Lord would do. And we're going to look at that. And we're going we're gonna to look more deeply at that, uh, at that this morning. So, but, but one of the things that, that I want to I get out there is there are probably people here this morning, much, much like me, there are probably people here this morning who, uh, who when things get out of control or things are, are beginning to spin uh, in a direction that they hadn't assumed, that we do our best to try to regain control of those things uh, using only the skills and talents that we've been given. Right, And oftentimes we fall short uh, of those things and we get frustrated with the process. When things go a, a way that you don't think they should go, we try to white knuckle it as tightly as we can to try to get things under control. And when we don't get them under control, we get frustrated. Even in my, my new position here as senior pastor, there are a lot of things I want to walk in and just fix. And just we, we need to start doing things this way, to fix on my own accord. Especially when things are getting real and, and people are getting frustrated and, and it, it's a lot of times easier for me to simply lean on the things that I know and I have learned based on prior experience or, or what it seems like to me is common sense. That's our default mode is to lean on the things that we understand. Even in my role as a dad and as a father, I fall into this, right? My guess is, is there are people who are probably in the same boat. There are times where I need to take a step back and recognize there are bigger things at play here than only my patience. That as a dad, I'm responsible for the training up of my boys. So when they leave my home, they are ready to serve and honor God in a real way. That as a husband, I know there are more important things uh, at play than the cleanliness of our home or the punctuality of our family to an event that ultimately doesn't matter. But rather than looking at why our home is messy, I just, I just want to get in and, and clean it and do everything as quick as I can so, so I can control that realm. Because if that realm is under control and my kids are under control and my job is under control, then I am in control. But what we're going to look at here today is this idea that Joseph largely isn't in control of anything in his life. And regardless of that, he consistently goes back to God and obedience uh, to, to him. Joseph is a prime example of a guy who had every reason to freak out about the circumstances that were surrounding his life. He had a fiance who came to him and told him she was pregnant. That alone should put you in a tailspin, right? Guys, <laughs> especially knowing that, that he, they had not shared a bed together 
And she, she actually, scripture doesn't even tell us that Mary told him. You know what it tells us? It tells us that Joseph found out. Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant. It's written in such a way that Mary actually didn't tell him she was pregnant. She just didn't say anything. And eventually Joseph noticed she was pregnant, right? So eventually Joseph was like, okay, that can't be more unleavened bread that you've eaten, Mary. Like you're not just letting yourself go. At this point, I recognize the fact that you are indeed pregnant, okay? And I'm confident in asking that question now, right? Because that's a scary place to be. Men, if you want to know when it is okay to ask a woman if, if she is pregnant, the answer is never, okay? Just jot that in the margin of your notes. Come back to that later. But that would put, that would put any of us in a tailspin, any guys, I mean, think about that. If my fiance came to me and told me she was pregnant and I knew it was physically impossible for me to be the dad, some questions are being asked. And in my humanity, the last thing I care about is her reasoning or her reputation. I care about the fact that, that you sinned against, how dare you? We entered into a verbal contract with one another. I asked you to be my bride. You said yes, and now you're pregnant? And you're going to blame it on God? Right? I mean, this is where Joseph finds himself. And in that sense, I would be angry and do everything I could to control the situation, do my best to fix it and move on. And largely, Joseph, while he does end up doing the right thing, is every bit as human as you and I. So in today's story, we get to look at this guy who largely is supporting character, but incredibly important none, nonetheless. So we're going to get to the scripture in just a second. But before we do, uh, any Lord of the Ring, Rings fan, fans in the house? Okay, a couple of you. Yep, that looks about right. Um, <laughs> raise your hand if you're not a nerd. Okay, um, I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan, so I can say that. Okay, in the back, I'm with you. Okay, yeah, in the back, I'm with you. Okay, um, but I love, I love Lord of the Rings. Okay, I, I wasn't, I didn't, never read it, um, but I watched the movies on it, and, and whatever, those are great. So I guess I'm not that much of a nerd. But before it came out, it came out uh, kind of when I was in high school, and I knew nothing about it. I had never heard of it. I had never heard of J.R. Tolkien. Uh, the, uh, he's the author of the books. I had no idea who Frodo was, no idea what a Shire was, no idea that The Hobbit that I watched a poorly animated version of back when I was in sixth grade had anything to do with Lord of the Rings as we were moving forward. No idea, no idea about any of it. But we enter into a movie and we see this disheveled wizard wearing gray clothes and riding in a carriage through a bunch of nice green hilly fields uh, where we get a glimpse of our protagonist Frodo for the first time, right? And a whole lot of stuff has gone down prior to this point. There's a whole different book, like I said, a prequel to these happenings. But we get 30 minutes in before we're introduced to a lot of people's favorite character. And this character is a guy by the name of Samwise Gamgee. Okay? A lot of people relate to Samwise, Sam for short. He's not the most exciting character. He's the, not the one who kids try to emulate when they leave the movie theater, right? They're not like, oh, I call dibs on the chubby hobbit, right? Like that's not, that's not a thing. Um, one of his most memorable pieces of the story in Lord of the Rings is his questions about where they are going or when they're going to eat food because he's always hungry, right? Like this isn't someone that people try to emulate, but Sam didn't ask to be a, star, a part of this story. Sam simply landed there. Sam was simply a part of the story because of the relationships that he had prior to this story. There's actually a great quote from him in the first book. 
And he says this, he says, I know we are going to take a very long road in the darkness, but I know I can't turn back. It isn't to see elves now, nor dragons, nor mountains that I want. I don't rightly know what I want, but I have something to do before the end. And it lies ahead, not in the Shire. Sam recognizes here in the same way that Joseph does. That regardless of the space in which we find ourselves, they are things that we need to move forward with simply because it's the right thing to do. And that's where we find Joseph. Joseph was faithful regardless of his circumstances. And that's going to be your first blank. Joseph was faithful regardless of his circumstances. It tells us that in Matthew 1, verses 18 and 19. It says this. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Joseph had no reason to keep this this bride-to-be, no reason to to not solely her name, no reason to be respectful outside of the fact that the law told him to. Beyond that, uh, in, my, in my studies, uh, like I said before, there are numerous mentions of the fact that Mary never even told him she was pregnant. He simply concluded that she was. So we have Joseph here possibly realizing she was pregnant because of the size of her belly and still because he was a righteous man decided to end this engagement quietly. In verse 19, when it talks about Joseph uh, being a righteous man of the law, what it's saying is that because of the fact that Joseph, because of the fact that he found out that Mary was pregnant, if he were to marry her, he would have been admitting guilt of sleeping with her prior to the fact prior to being married and then her punishment would have been that of death by stoning okay so this isn't something that joseph is taking lightly we learn a lot about his character here so rather than marrying her and allowing her to be killed he decided to end the engagement quietly by doing this it keeps her righteousness intact as well as his compassion intact it was the only direction for him to go being a righteous man It's the only move that would have made sense to a righteous person, though I'm sure it was wrought with question after question after question, which is why Matthew in in his gospel doesn't waste a lot of time getting to the next piece of the puzzle, starting in verse 20, where we find out that Joseph was receptive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Joseph was receptive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So while Joseph's plan to fix things on his own Right when he said, you know what, I'm just going to gonna end this engagement quietly. That'll take care of that. So rather than him doing that, an angel shows up to deliver a message to him regarding why his bride-to-be was super pregnant. Okay? So Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 to 25, it says this. It says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give, to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Verse 23, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and she gave him the name Jesus. 
So the Holy Spirit conceives the baby in Mary's womb. Let's pause there for a second. The Holy Spirit conceives a baby in Mary's womb. Okay, there's a whole lot of people who assume that the Bible is nonsense. That the Bible simply can't be true because of the stories that it tells. There's a couple that stick out to me, right? For those of you who read the Old Testament, right? Story of Jonah sticks out. Like you believe a dude got swallowed by a really big fish. Three days, he stayed inside that fish until he repented and that fish puked him up where he was supposed to be. Okay, sure, right? So that one sticks out. The flood sticks out, right? That, that all of the animals and two by two on the earth came onto a massive ark that, that Noah built and then it started to rain and the whole earth was flooded and everybody died except Noah and his family and these animals. And then eventually the flood waters receded and all these animals go, uh, go and repopulate the earth and Noah's family repopulates the earth. And, and that's that. And there's another one that really sticks out. A conception of the virgin birth. If we are willing to say that we believe this, then why is it that we shy away from sharing it? If we're willing to say, you know what? I, yeah, Noah's Ark, that was a real thing. Yeah, Jonah and that fish. Absolutely, I believe that fish vomited him out where he was supposed to be. And three, I believe that the Holy Spirit conceived of a baby, a woman who had, had never had sex in her entire life, that God conceived Jesus in her womb, was birthed simply to die on our behalf. If we are willing to hang our hats on those things and celebrate Christmas, then we would better be willing to share about the resurrection at Easter. Amen? So, getting back to it. Holy Spirit conceives a baby in Mary's womb. And being the fiancé to someone who's now pregnant, and it definitely isn't yours, can't be easy. Right. Uh, but then an angel of the Lord appears in a dream and tells him that it's the Holy Spirit. Don't worry. You'll be fine. Now, this if this is me, I'm freaking out more at this point. This doesn't make me like like at ease. Right. Where I fall asleep. An angel of the Lord comes and said, hey, no, nah, it's cool. It was God. And you're like, OK, the stakes just got raised. Right. It was a whole lot easier for me to grasp and understand what is going on in my finite mind. If I just assume that somebody else had slept with my fiance. But now all of a sudden, we have an angel of the Lord appearing to me in a dream saying, nope, that is the son of God who was inside your fiance's womb. This cannot be easy. Joseph abandons his plan to quietly break up with Mary and was receptive to the spirit leading him and his new, and his, leading him and his now family. So giving up that control and being okay with letting go of a situation that you desperately want to control isn't easy. It can't be easy. But he's open to what God is doing in his life and recognizes that it is by the work of the Holy Spirit in his spouse. This section is difficult for us as Americans, right? Uh, a lot of times we turn to the Holy Trinity or we turn the Holy Trinity into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible oftentimes. That, and even, even from the pulpit, even from stages across America, everything like that, and you're going to hear it today, too, is how do you get closer to God? Man, make sure you're digging into his word. Make sure you're digging into his word. Make sure you're digging into his word. But oftentimes we forget that equally as important as knowing God's truth is recognizing truth that is being whispered to us through the Holy Spirit. 
And so we need to hold those two things in conjunction. But the reality is, is that we are just very pragmatic. We want to follow a guideline and be able to check it off the list. And so when I say, hey, you need to dig into the word of God later on, when I say that, and make sure that you're getting your time in in the morning, we say that because it's something that we are able to do. If we are going to consistently be listening to the guiding of the Holy Spirit, that isn't a check mark. That is something that consistently has to show up in our lives, minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, over and over and over again. And Joseph was willing to trust the Holy Spirit in that. There are times when, you know, I would have thought it would be a whole lot better if, if Christ was still on earth. Anybody think about that ever? You're like, man, why couldn't Jesus be alive today? It would be a whole lot easier for me to follow him if he was physically present on earth today. It would be a whole lot easier, right? Anybody ever think that? I think that sometimes. And then I think back to, to a section where Jesus talk, is talking to his disciples, telling him, look, the, I am sending you someone who is going to be your helper, someone who gets to live in you, gets to live with you, and he is going to guide you every second of every single day. And I recognize that Jesus, as he stepped down from deity and temporarily set aside those things that he was able to do, that omnipresence, right, where he's walking the earth and he can't be everywhere at once. Guess what? The Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. The Holy Spirit lives with us. And because of that, the Holy Spirit is a whole lot more helpful to us than Jesus, Jesus if he was physically present on this earth. Amen? The reality is, is Jesus sent to us the spirit. He talks about it in the upper room. He says this in the book of John. He says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and I will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. That same Holy Spirit is more than enough. And before this point, Man had never had the Holy Spirit living in him and with him. We now have the power that is in Christ living inside of us. And for us to shun the idea that the Holy Spirit should be an integral part of our Christian walk is foolish. And so because of that, as we think through the things that we need to do to mature our faith, to continue to become sanctified and holy, we need to recognize that we need to consistently be leaning on the promptings of the Holy Spirit in the same way that Joseph did. My wife and I are in a, in a small group uh, that, that Dave Fox leads, and it's really, really nice on Wednesday nights. We bring our kids here. They do their Wednesday kids program. Our kids get fed both uh, physically and spiritually. Um, and then we go over there, and, and my wife and I get to be fed and poured into by other people. It's one of our favorite nights of the week. Um, and the entire study that we're doing talks about being sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit as we seek to share the gospel with other people. And it has been challenging week in and week out to think, okay, God, where are you showing up? This small voice that tells us to engage with someone in a conversation about God is really easy to ignore, especially when we're on our way to something that we deem is really, really important. We encounter people every single day that the Holy Spirit simply is prompting us to engage, but we just say no, and we say no, and eventually become callous to that entire idea. You know, I, when I go to Starbucks, there's usually the same barista almost every single day working that window. 
Same, same barista. Maybe for some of you guys, the same co-worker, the same homeless person sitting on the side of the road, the same family member. At FBH, we call these different people our oikos. Okay, these people, these 8 to 15 people who, who are already in your life, who you don't, even, you don't even have to try to establish a relationship with them because you already have a relationship with them. All you have to do is be willing to share the things that you hold most dear to you, the things that you say that we say we care the most about. And so I am completely okay talking about things that I am passionate about. I'm completely okay talking about the giants when they're winning. I'm really okay talking about the warriors right now, right? But I, but, but I struggle when it comes to those things that, that I have a really true, deep passion for. The things that the whole reason I went into ministry is to proclaim God and make sure that, 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 that his son was well known. And I have a difficult time sharing that with those people that I already have a relationship with. The reality is, is that's foolish. Is that if I'm willing to hang my hat on the idea that I'm going to celebrate Christmas because a baby was born of a virgin, I better be okay sharing the fact that that same baby went to a cross to die for my sins so I could be with God in eternity forever. But Joseph, he wasn't just obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit. He was obedient to the word of the Lord as well. Joseph was obedient to the word of the Lord. And this is where we all settle in and we start to feel a little bit more at home, right? Where I say you need to open up your Bibles more and make sure that you're heeding the word of the Lord on a more regular basis, which is absolutely true. And I'm not discounting that at all. Matthew chapter two, verses 13 and 15, 13 through 15. It says this, it says, when they had gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up. He said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt, I called my son. Then it continues here, 19 through 23. It says, after Herod, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was, was reigning in Judea in a place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. Nazareth, so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Notice that in both of these sections, Joseph never says anything like, well, let me think about that for a little bit. Or, well, let me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray about that and I'll get back to you. Or, well, I'm waiting for, I'm really waiting for God to show me the direction that I should go before I actually decide the direction that I should go. And we see, we see how ridiculous that sounds, knowing that, oh, an angel showed up to him in a dream. But the reality is, is that we have God's word. We have God's special revelation to us. We have the Bible. And so often we treat the Bible simply as a book, but those are God's words transcribed by men for us to be able to heed that call. And so we think to ourselves, oh, it's easy for Joseph to heed the word of the God. He saw an angel. And so because he saw an angel, he got up and he went. There was no hesitation there. But how silly is it of us to be able to crack open our Bibles, read a verse that is convicting, probably a verse saying something that we should be doing that we're not doing. And we're like, you know what? Let me think about that for a little bit. See how it actually manifests itself 
in my life. Or, you know what, let me, I'm going to pray about that and see how it actually fits into, into my schedule. Or I'm going to see if God is really moving in that direction. And we say those things long enough to be able to ignore the fact that those aren't just good ideas. Those are commands that we are supposed to be heeding. Right now I'm reading uh, in the book of Exodus for my own personal quiet time. Uh, and as I'm reading through the story of Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh and the Israelites and burning bushes and, and, and let my people go and all that jazz, right? All that good stuff regarding Exodus. Uh, as I'm reading through it, there's a consistent theme that keeps coming up over and over and over and over again. And that theme is the idea of obedience to the word of the Lord obedience to the word of the Lord that God told Moses and Aaron to go have a conversation with the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh. And they were willing to go eventually. They were willing to go because God told them to go and not just say, hey, Pharaoh, man, things are looking so good. Man, those bricks that you're having us make, so sturdy, great job. You're doing a really good job, Pharaoh. No, God said, hey, go talk to this, this, this person who is overseeing all of, your, all of my people, all of the Israelites, and you tell him to let them go. Talk about a hard conversation, right? Like you guys are nervous about talking to your coworkers about Jesus. Go talk to the most powerful world, man in the world and say, hey, you got to let all your slaves go, who, by the way, outnumbered them majorly, right? Like, nah, your whole labor force, <laughs> They need to go. They need to go worship God. God told me to tell you that, so you need to do that. Talk about a difficult conversation. But Moses and Aaron were consistently obedient to the word of God. And so God would tell them something like, okay, we're going to go do it. And they would go do it. And they'd come back and they'd be like, God, sorry, like it didn't work. Pharaoh's heart was hardened again. All right, you want, you, we're going to do the frog thing. All right, we're going to go do the frog thing. And we we're going to do the frog. Okay, God, it didn't work. What do you want to do? We're going to do blood thing. Okay, we're going to do blood now. And it just kept going over and over and over again. How easy would it have been for those two to just be like, you know what, God, this isn't working. His mind is made up. We're out. But rather than that, they stayed obedient to the, the word of the Lord over and over and over again. It's the same thing that Joseph is doing. And it's the same thing that we are supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be obedient to the Lord. So the question then is, what is obedient to the, the word of the Lord looks like, look like? There's two things that you need to be responsible for in order to be obedient to the Lord. The first one is the great commandment. It's in Mark 12. Uh, it, says, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is love your neighbor as yourself, right? That's one. That's the first thing you need to do in order to be obedient to the word of the Lord. The second thing you need to do is something that's called the great commission. The great commission is found in Matthew 28. It says where Jesus says to his disciples, therefore... Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So simply, what does it look like for us to heed the word of the Lord, to be obedient to the Lord's word? Simple, two things, love God and people really well. So your first instinct should not be to get upset at that slow driver in front of you. It should be to hug them real tight. And, and then step two our responsibility is to make God look good and Christ well known. You got to share about who Jesus is. Love God, love people, and make sure that they know that the reason you are loving them well is because God first loved us. We make it so hard and we wring our hands about obedience and, and when we really need to hear from the Lord to get our stuff and go and do simply what he asked us to do, just like Joseph did. There was no hesitation with Joseph. He had a dream, he woke up, he packed up his things, and he left. Why? 
because God told them to. And it's no different if it's from an audible voice of God, like Moses and Aaron, or from an angel with Joseph, or from the word of the Lord that we're supposed to be reading on a regular basis. We're supposed to heed that word, be obedient to it, and go. We need to remember, though, that in all of us, it isn't about, it isn't about us, and it's not about what we are able to do. It's simply about us being obedient to what the Lord has asked us to do. It's about God, because as we are obedient to the Lord, we need to remember that God is God, and we are not. God is God, and we are not, which is for all of us in the room who love the idea of control and white-knuckling every issue that comes up, we need to remember that we aren't in control of anything. That's a myth. You are in control of nothing. And if that hurts a little bit, it hurts me too. It hurts to say it. That I have control of nothing. That is my responsibility to relinquish control. The, 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 the theological term I'm describing is, is this idea of sovereignty. That God is control in control of everything. He is all powerful. It's the realization that God is in complete control, which allows him to be God and us to be okay surrendering to a God who loves us. And that freaks a lot of us type A people out. It's not comfortable. But as a reminder, when we think that we can do more than God with our limited skill set, we're saying that we're more powerful than an all-powerful God. And that doesn't make any sense. We have to look back at who we are, and we talked about that two weeks ago, that man is sinful, that none of us are good. R.C. Sproul, he's a theologian, he says it this way, sin is cosmic treason. Sin is treason against a perfectly pure sovereign. It's an act of supreme ingratitude toward the one to whom we owe everything, to the one who has given us life itself. Have you ever considered the deeper implications of the slightest sin, of the most minute picadillo? What are we saying to our creator when we disobey him at the slightest point? We are saying no to the righteousness of God. We are saying, God, your law is not good. My judgment is better than yours. Your authority does not apply to me. I am above and beyond your jurisdiction. I have the right to do what I want to do, not what you command me to do. Which is when we take a step back and think about it. Man, that's crazy. For me to assume that I am more powerful than an all-powerful God, that, that me being in control is a whole lot better than an all-powerful God being in control. It's backwards. It's completely and totally backwards. We can't compete with a holy and perfect God. It's not going to happen. So for those of us who want to retain control, for those of us who want to worry about tomorrow, than simply being obedient to God in our lives. We have to be willing to let it, get, let it go. And in the same way that Joseph was obedient, regardless of his circumstances, we need to be obedient to the Lord, regardless of ours. Amen? Can you imagine, though, what it would look like if we just surrendered to him and his will? Just, just F.B. Hanford. We'll start with F.B. Hanford. Just our church, if we said, you know what, I'm going to be obedient to what his word says. I'm going to be obedient to the promptings of the Holy Spirit in, our, in my life. If we said, okay, God, your will be done. It's not about me. You lead me. I'll do it. Whatever it is that you ask. You want me to get up in the middle of the night, pack up my family and flee Hanford? Fine, I'll do it. You want me to take a second and share what you've done in my life to the coworker sitting next to me daily? Fine, I'm in. Our church would change overnight. The kingdom of God would grow not by addition, but, but, but exponentially. 
We would have to buy more chairs to stuff into this massive auditorium because so many people would want to know a truth because people today are starved for it. They are looking for it. They are searching for it. And we have the answer. The reality is that in order to share that answer, all we have to do is one thing. Let's be obedient to the word and the spirit of the Lord over and over and over again. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're, uh, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for your spirit. We're thankful for your son as we celebrate him this Christmas. And man, I am thankful for Joseph, a guy who gets not nearly enough credit for this story to, to have faith like he did. To be a righteous man like he was is one thing. To, to continue to keep the law and all of those things that were required of us in the Old Testament, Father, uh, is, is phenomenal. But beyond that, to have his faith manifested in a very real way when, when, when God, you had been silent for almost 400 years since the end of the Old Testament. And all of a sudden you send an angel to talk to him about what was happening in his life. To say that, that look, your, your fiance is pregnant. And your baby, that baby, not your baby, that baby is going to save all of humanity. God, I don't know if I would have that faith. And so I am thankful for Joseph and his faith. But beyond that, we're thankful for that baby um, that was knit together in that womb perfectly. God, that, that he, he was born, he lived, he was, sac- he was crucified and ultimately conquered death. So we could spend eternity with you, God. That's, that's what we're celebrating this season. And as we can pick little things out of the different characters in the story, we want to keep that big picture in focus. That idea that all of this drives us straight back to your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross on our behalf. So with, with eyes still closed and heads still bowed, if there are people in the room this morning who don't yet call Jesus Savior, Lord, I pray um, that they would do, they would just pray the ABCs with me as we call them here. The A, that they would admit that, that, that we're sinners in need of a Savior. Admit that we're not good, that we recognize that, that sin is prevalent in our lives regardless of who we are or stage of life or anything like that. Rome, the book of Romans tells us that, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so, Lord, we recognize that and we admit that. B, that we would believe that this baby that we're celebrating this Christmas season ultimately went and died on a cross on our behalf and then rose from the dead three days later. We believe you sent your son on our behalf and then see that we would choose to follow you every single day, which drives to point back to obedience, Father, that we would be obedient to you, your word, your prompting, your spirit, all those things, that we would be obedient to you and choose to follow you every single day of your life. Father, we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you made a decision for Christ today on that connect card that you guys drop in the baskets, there's a little spot for you to make a little mark. We would love to know and follow up with you. Outside of that, we got some, uh, me and Jeff will be up here and we have some more people praying in the back. Um, But hey, we'll see you next week. Nine days, guys. Get your shopping done. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.